taking a break from our Genesis series um, during the Advent series to follow the lectionary and the lectionary uh, passages this year for Advent um, are following Isaiah and they're also following in the gospel uh, line it's following Matthew and uh, today's passage is I'm going to be preaching from Matthew 24 36 through 44 and uh, this is what's called apocalyptic literature. It's an ap- apocalyptic text. And many of you are like, what is apocalyptic, right? And uh, if, you, if you watch any apocalyptic television programs, right, post-apocalyptic, such as The Walking Dead or Jericho or any of those things, this is not what we're talking about, the end of the world, right, and how you're gonna survive at the end of the world. Um, Apocalyptic literature is very common um, in Jewish writing and Christian writing um, around the life of Jesus and after the early church after the life of Jesus. And um, it's kind of this forward-looking, future-looking literature talking about um, the end of days or the second coming of Jesus. And... The question I had for the lectionary people is, why did we choose, why did you choose a passage about the second coming of Jesus, right? When we're talking, we're in Advent, we're talking about the first coming of Jesus, right? It's supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be, Jesus was born in a manger. Jesus, rejoice, rejoice, away in the manger, silent night. The shepherds are rejoicing. The wise men are bringing their gifts and we're awaiting the coming Lord So why are we talking about dark skies and signs and stressful things like suffering and persecution and wars and the rumors of wars? And uh, why are we talking about the second coming of Jesus? This is the time for um, Christmas, right? This is the time for shopping and lights. And after Thanksgiving Thursday, you can hear Christmas music in all the department stores and your workplace. Happy people are making hot chocolate with peppermint, you know, flavor in them. You get all your special flavors at Starbucks, right? Peppermint mocha, all of your eggnog lattes, all of your seasonal drinks at Starbucks. This is what we're talking about, right? 
So why, um, why this little section about the second coming of Jesus? Everyone will be surprised. Everyone will be unexpected, unexpectedly expecting um, the second coming of Jesus. So my big idea today is don't be complacent. And this is what the scripture is telling us. Don't be complacent, but engage in your life of faith here and now. Wake up. Pay attention. I don't know about you, but I am a tired person. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I'm a tired person right now? (laughs) I kind of felt that today. We are tired people. Not just because we didn't get enough sleep, not just because it's Sunday morning, but we are tired people, amen? In our culture, in our society, in our work life, in our play life, in our whatever, lounging about life, we are tired people. How many of you had those days where you just like, I need to just buck up. I need to just make it through this week. I need to just make it through this day, right? You wake up and you're tired, you're dead tired. You hit your snooze button maybe five or six times. You go out the door, you forgot your coffee, but you're already on the road. Traffic is terrible, right? And you're like, oh, I have to go into work. Tomorrow we might feel that way, it's Monday, right? Oh, I got the whole week ahead of me the whole week and people are honking there's dumb drivers on the highway and you're just weary you're exhausted i don't know about you but i i get into checkout mode where i'm just coasting right when i'm exhausted i just hope no one brings me like a problem i have to actually think about or you know or that i have to put some real emotional or mental effort into you. You just want to kind of coast, right? It's the holiday season. And if you have children, it's the holiday season. They're not in school, right? So you have not just your little two-year-old child, you have your eight-year-old running around and messing up the house. And you have to lug them here and there. And holiday season also means Thanksgiving. You have to cook turkeys for us. We cooked like three turkeys this Thanksgiving. One for an ultimate tournament, one for church, one for actual Thanksgiving day. Turkey, 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 right? And cooking and cooking and inviting people over or going and being social, going to other people's houses, dealing with family and relatives, stress, stress, stress. And you're like, isn't the holiday season supposed to be a happy, happy time? And maybe I'm being cynical. Maybe I'm just a cynical Debbie Downer, holiday downer. But I think most people in Seattle are on my side. Most people in this place are on my side because when you go to work and you have that one person, or you go to school, you have that one person who's happy, right? They're playing the Christmas music and they're like, holly jolly, and you're like, ah. Do you realize that it's been dark outside for a whole week? I haven't seen the sun in ages. I'm turning pale and I'm depressed, right? And it's raining. And as soon as I stepped out of my car, I stepped into a puddle and my jeans got wet. Ah! Right? 
It's stressful. On top of us being very tired people, right? habitually tired people, the holiday seasons also bring more stress, more burden. And it's true that the holidays like Christmas are a time for a lot of people where a lot of people experience the most depression, the most sense of isolation, the most loneliness, because while we may be have the luxury of family or being together with people, some people, it just reminds them of their lack of family or their lack of home or their aloneness, right? Um, I'm not even going to go into Black Friday and just the consumerism. Living by Northgate, wah right? It's like, just make the traffic 10 times worse, right? It's just busy and stressful. Are you with me? Do you feel tired? Let's just be honest, right? Let's just be real. It's hard to be hopeful sometimes. It's hard to be joyful. Let's be honest. A lot of us are tired, exhausted. And a lot of us have been carrying uh, the weight of a lot of stressors. We just went through an election. We were just reminded of the differences, the social economic differences, the political differences, the differences in values of our whole, of our country, the divisions in our country. Some of us, for some people, the election meant celebration. For other people, maybe most of the people in Seattle would probably be like, oh, what just happened? Life as we know it's over. And we feel that. And whether you're self-aware of that or not, it, those kind of things weigh on us. It makes us more tired. That's why when I flip on the TV and the news is on, and there's another story, I'm like, oh, and I shut it up. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to hear it, right? It's hard for us to stay awake. We are tired, tired people. And then here is Jesus in this passage saying on top of everything to us, be alert, stay awake. And you're like, Jesus, I just want to sleep. I want to go to bed. Don't give another thing on my plate, please. Be alert, stay awake. Are you going to put more pressure on me? Right? Here's another thing I have to be aware of. That you're going to come like a thief in the night. Right? That all this drama is going to be happening in the world. And I'm not going to know if you're there or not. Or when you're coming or not. I just have to be ready at all times. I have to be prepared. Right? If you can hit, just hit the scripture. Be alert to what God is doing in your life right now. Be alert to what God wants to do in the world. Jesus is commanding us to be alert. To be alert. To wake up. This is hard because 
we can see it as just another thing added to us, another way that we need to be good, another religious activity for us, right? And a lot of times in many traditions, church traditions, these types of passages have been used to invoke fear, right? It's the fear tactic. Like the only reason why you should be faithful Christians is because Jesus might come at any moment. And if you're not being faithful, you're out, right? Watch out. He's coming. Right? It's like my mom's tactic. Right? If, she, if we were being disobedient at home, she would just be like, Dad's coming. Right? Even though he's like, coming in 18 hours or in two days. Dad's coming. And for a while, we'd be like, Dad's coming. Right? We better be good or Mom's going to tell Dad what we did. Dad's coming. Yeah, Santa. Yeah, exactly, with Isaiah. If he's acting up, Santa's coming. You're not going to get that present. No more Nerf guns. Santa's coming. Right? The threat of punishment. The threat of the authority figure coming. The threat of Father, Santa, Jesus coming and we not knowing it. That's the fear that, invo- that inspires, inspires obedience in us. Right? And this passage... Um, Jason uh, Robertson defines the type of theology you know kind of the left behind theology right the rapture kind of the uh, post uh, premillennial dispensationalism is the fancy word for it but Jesus is going to come and reign for a thousand years but before that there's going to be a tribulation right and there's a rapture all the Christians, all the faithful people are going to get raptured up, right? And this is like popularized by Left Behind. You could be working in a field together and like the person's clothes just drop down and the shovel they had in their hand will be on the ground. They're gone. They're, they got raptured up. I got left behind. What happened? So he uses escapist eschatology. He names this escapist eschatology. And so the challenge here is when we see one of these scriptures is to kind of look inside of ourselves and be like, how do we have, is this what Jesus is talking about? How do we have this kind of escapist eschatology, right? To be faithful means to separate ourselves from the world, right? And just hunker down and wait, right? I'm waiting versus what is the Christian hope? As believers, as the church, what are we hoping in? What is our hope? Why do we do what we do? Um, And Jason Robinson, he's a professor, uh, defines this well in writing. One aspect of escapist eschatology is the inclination to want to escape the present situation. The hope is not that God can or redeem the present but that God will rapture his church to a better place where it no longer has to deal with the troubles of the day. Um, and I was thinking about this. The way I would say it is, this is Christian coping, right? So when I'm dead tired 
and wanting to escape, uh, what do I do? I watch TV. I binge on Netflix. And actually, after I do that, do you think I feel more rested or less rested after I binge? Less rested, right? Because I probably should have gone to sleep. I'm dead tired. But I need something to help me not think and feel. I'm escaping in that moment. And it's a form of coping. So in the same way, Christian coping or escapist eschatology is saying, I just don't want to deal with the sufferings and the troubles of this present day world. And look, look at this passage. Look at everything else. Jesus is coming someday. We just have to wait for that. Nothing in this world matters, right? Only that I believe and I'll be saved and taken up one day, right? How comforting, right? How comforting. Are you guys with me? But the Christian hope is different than that. Yes, the Christian hope looks ahead to final judgment, looks ahead to when Jesus will come in glory, his second coming, and renew the world and save us and bring salvation to mankind. We look ahead. But the Christian hope does, does that with a real, uh, real grasp of the real world that we're living in. Does that make sense? We hold on to what's going on in the world around us, what's going on in our relationships with people around us, what's going on um, in our neighborhoods, in our churches. We engage with people that love us and we love people, right? We talk to them. We care about them. We engage with uh, injustices in our world. We engage with people who are poor and suffering. And we live in that tension. We're like, oh, one day Jesus is coming and it's going to be amazing. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship him, right, and give him praise. And he's king, he's sovereign, he controls everything, he will win. And the thing about Christians is that we know the end of the story. We know how it's going to end. Christ will be victorious, Christ will be glorified, Christ will come in power, Christ wins, right? And yet when we look at the world, we're going, what is this, right? We're like, I thought I got invited to a gourmet meal, right? Turkey, golden brown turkey, stuffing, cranberry. And I come here and I'm eating burnt stuff. Right? I'm eating crap. It's like, what is this? Really, Christ, are you sovereign? Really, Christ, do you rule in this earth? Because right now, it doesn't feel very good. It doesn't look very good. Do you see the tension? That's the Christian hope. Not Christian escapism, but engaging with the reality of the world around you, engaging with the reality of your heart and what's going on in your heart with the truth and reality of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? And that 
is the tension. So if we were to look at this passage in light of what I've been saying, Jesus is saying, engage, be alert, engage in this world. Because no one knows. No one knows when the rapture is coming, right? No one knows when I'm coming again. Leave that to the other people. Don't worry about that. Worry about being engaged in your life right now. Right? Be engaged in living like Christ in your life right now. He gives an example of the days of Noah. Before the flood, people were like happy, getting married, dancing, singing. And then the flood came. <laughs> that, that's a hard teaching, right? They weren't alert. They weren't prepared. Uh, then he gives more of those images. Um, but I really think that more than kind of the fear, the, the fear that should compel us, it's the hope, right? It's the hope of what are you living into? Right? Not that you're going to get left out and left behind somehow. But therefore, in 42, keep watch. Because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time the night of the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So also you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So what does this mean for Advent? I think what this means for Advent is the world is going to tell you how you should spend your time. You don't believe me? There was a time when Black Friday was a new concept. Right? It's a new, totally new concept. Black Friday. And people lined up, camped out, because there were these extraordinary sales. Right? There was a time where it was a new concept. And people like, and then pe- there were like all these newscasts about how people ran over each other, people got trampled and got beat down, right? Because the day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday, right? And you should go shopping because everyone, if you don't go shopping, you're going to miss out on the greatest deals, right? And then after Black Friday, people are like, oh, okay. Let's have Cyber Monday. You remember that? And then there was Cyber Monday, right? That's when you can get all the deals on online and all the deals on tech stuff. So not only did you have Black Friday, there's Cyber Monday. Well, this year, right, uh, the news, in the news they were talking about how this new thing is, was that like 80% more people shopped on their phone, right? And so the Black Friday was less attended and people were using their phones more because why there's all these apps every every uh, store ha- department store has apps and it's just way more convenient why get trampled on or why camp out outside when I can use these apps and then I actually looked online to go see if what kind of Black Friday deals were it's not even Black Friday anymore it's pre Black Friday 
right? Or the week before Black Fr- pre-Black Friday week, right? Pre-Thanksgiving sale. It doesn't matter anymore, right? Because we've allowed our con- consumerism runs the day. And so people, so the, the stores and whatever, the marketers define the, t- the time of the season, define the season and the timing of everything. And so our whole lives followed what? The rhythm of consumerism and not the rhythm of the scriptures, Advent. That we are in a time where we're awaiting Jesus Christ. And we're in a time where we need to be hopeful and alert and engaging the world around us. So, Melissa Baines Sevier in a blog, uh, she, she wrote a list about paying attention, paying attention and being attentive as being kind of the discipline, the spiritual discipline, a theme for Advent for all of us. And I, I think this list is really good. She writes, pay attention to the people closest to you. How will you give and receive love in those relationships? Pay attention to the people you encounter. How might your interactions aim toward being holy moments? Pay attention to people least like you. This may be more difficult, but how will you learn from them? Pay attention to God and to what God is doing in the world. How can you awaken your senses to notice goodness and peace? Pay attention to yourself. Self-awareness is highly underrated. How will you be awake to your body, soul, spirit, and values during Advent? How will that self-awareness translate into how you spend your time? Um, You can, uh, and I, I added to this list, you can be alert and active. Active, hope is act, active. Like faith is active. And I think Christ is calling his people to hope actively, hope proactively, and to live awake, woke, and alert. You can be alert and active through prayer. Intercessory prayer is one of the ways that we as Christians actively wait, right? That's, that's a means of hope. Against all odds, against the circumstances, we yet pray for God's will to be done, God to change things, God to bring new life. You can be alert and active through giving and serving uh, people around you. In a time where we usually focus on, what am I gonna get, right? A way to counteract that is to be, what can I, what can I give? How can I serve? Um, when Jesus was betrayed in the garden before he was arrested, if you remember in Gethsemane, he took his disciples to pray with them. And like two or three times, he went back to his disciples while he was praying in solitude and they were sleeping, they were snoring, right? I would probably be like the, the worst culprit of that sleeping. And Jesus is like, wake up, right? Wake up, keep praying. Do you know what time this is, right? 
Do you know what's happening around you? One after another, he came back, he came back. Wake up, be alert. Don't fall asleep. Right? And then right after that, he gets arrested, he's crucified. And I just wonder, the disciples are like, what is going on? Right? Our, we just got disrupted by this, right? Everything got turned upside down. What is going on? What was Jesus wanting us to pay attention to? Um, live into Advent. Live with anticipation of the unexpected. Live with an active hope and active faith. Practice prayer. Pay attention to relationships. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. Pay attention to those who are hurting and treated unjustly. Pay attention to those that hurt others and act unjustly. Do not be complacent. Complacency would be simply would be simply to eat, shop, and watch football in this Advent season and forgetting the reason for the season, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the reason for the season. Not whether the Huskies are going to make the BCS championship game. Uh, not if the Seahawks are going to make the Super Bowl. Not about what are we going to cook for Christmas or what am I going to buy uh, for my mom for Christmas. Um, but remember the reason for the season. Let's reclaim this from our culture, right? Christmas, Advent, is a Christian season. It's about Jesus Christ. Take it back. Let's pray.